And you, you actually mentioned it. So there can be herbal medicines, there can be acupuncture, there can be perhaps certain tips and tricks that you do with supplementation. There's just so many things that we can do beyond just going straight for a pill of antibiotics. And again, back to they are certainly necessary, but it's not necessary for a lot of time. one in three, one, one in three, three prescriptions. Three. Yeah. And there's 47 million excess prescriptions each year. Hi, I'm Mary Wong. And I'm Dr. Tanya Wild. We're wellness experts, fertility strategists, and moms who overcame infertility infusing science and all things natural. We are on a mission to boost your mood, your bod, and your inner mama spirit as you navigate this thing called life. From fertility to pregnancy and mamahood through menopause. Think of us as your own personal fertility squad as you make, grow, birth, and raise your baby. Fasten your seatbelts, lean lean in, in, and get ready to learn and be encouraged. This is my Fertology Podcast. Antimicrobial resistance is an urgent global public health threat killing at least 1.27 million people worldwide and associated with nearly 5 million deaths in 2019. In the U.S., more than 2.8 million antimicrobial resistant infections occur each year. What does that mean when there's antimicrobial resistance? It means germs like bacteria and fungi develop the ability to defeat the drugs designed to kill them. So the drugs, the antibiotics no longer work. That means the germs are not killed and they continue to grow. So it's a big threat, like a worldwide global public health threat. So when you have an infection, um, When you have an infection, like a bladder infection, or perhaps you have strep throat, those would be two big reasons it makes total sense to go in and get treated. Because if you have a bladder infection and you don't get treated with antibiotics, you could develop a kidney infection. And that's serious. What happens if you don't respond to that antibiotic that's that could be could carry on and develop into you know sepsis, like a blood infection? So if you if we abuse antibiotics and and take them for the random cold or things we're not certain um, in terms of like if you have an you actually it's clear that you have an a bacterial infection or a fungal infection and you're just taking it at random or pushing your doctor to prescribe it you're actually creating resistant strains by doing that so it's it's but but we're not taught this like it's something did you know this did you know that there was such a huge global threat to resistant well i didn't know that there's a global crisis and but i that said i absolutely know that there's antibiotic abuse and and resistance and you hit the nail on the head when it's like it antibiotics has been a game changer the development that has increased the length of our lives so this is not about bashing antibiotics no but it's it's about not at all yeah, it's about like we need to address and use it wisely and not yes. just take it for every little thing, as you said, mentioned yes. earlier, like uh, having a cold. Because, mm-hmm. you know, I'm going to get really personal here where, um, <laughs> well, I had contracted chlamydia unknowingly because I was a naturalist. And, you know, I could have been shameful and said, gosh, like I contracted an STI. But that said, because I had premarital sex, but I don't have the stats and I don't know what the percentage of people 
are in this world that have premarital sex, but I think it's a lot. So <laughs> if you judge me, I'm okay with that. I know that I'm a good human being. And yet simultaneously, we cannot control sometimes our partners. Like our, I spoke to you prior, Tanya, about a friend of mine. And I only learned of this as a teenager because one of my friends who was like a couple of years older than me, he was a guy and he contracted herpes from his first and only girlfriend who had had other previous partners. So there's no shame about this. It's like these contractions of viruses are real and these incidents require antibiotics because if you don't get it handled, there are repercussions. And for myself, I had it undetected for who knows how many decades before I found out only after trying to conceive for a couple of years, which is so sad. And that's why Tanya and I are both here like every week telling you and sharing with you our knowledge and our experiences, personal and through our private practices, because we don't want you to experience what I've had, (laughs) right? Like the blocked fallopian tubes, could have been completely preventable if I had number one gotten checked and I was shamed to get checked to begin with or not. You know what? No, no, it wasn't shame. It was like, I was kind of like anti-medicine period at that time. It's like, cause I am natural. I am healthy. I am strong. And had I been getting like a regular pap smear, finding out that I had chlamydia, I would have just been easily treated through antibiotics and I would have never had lock fallopian tubes and in which I had a six-year fertility journey. That could have been completely prevented. That said, I have zero remorse, zero regret, because today I'm able to share with you. And it's because of my experience that I'm so passionate about this. Right. And um, I have a child I'm meant to have. Yes. Thank you so much for sharing. I know that's so vulnerable because people have, there is sadly still stigma with STIs, but if you think about it, there's just these sneaky little viruses and bacterias that, you know, slip in literally um, when you are having unprotected uh, intimacy and people don't always think about it. If you have a partner and that partner's only even had one partner, we don't know how many partners that one partner had. And, you know, so it's, it's, it's one of those things where it helps to perhaps like one of the rules that I had with my university friends, because I had premarital sex too, was to always- <laughs> See, ooh, uh, the great reveals of both of us. Yes. Like, yeah. <laughs> so, and, us. <laughs> yeah. And so I, and I, my, one of my rules with every partner is you have to go get tested before we are intimate. And then even then you still have to wear a condom because what if the condom falls off? And so there were guys who, sorry, it sounds like I was with so many men, but th- they would say no. And I said, okay, well then that's it. We're, we're done. Cause it also kind of reveals what type of wow. person that they are. And, you know, you just have to pee in a cup for a man. So you can, you know, rule out chlamydia and gonorrhea and you can't rule out HPV, which is a virus um, through men, but you know, like it's one of those things that uh, I think is just really important to kind of say, okay, well, I'm free of AIDS and HIV and chlamydia and gonorrhea with a swab. And, you know, you can go to those like uh, anonymous clinics to get tested and you're free. We still wear condoms and we still protect because what if it falls off? And I don't know, I was, I don't know if it 
if it was just me, but I always thought, well, they could, you know, find another partner while we're together. So you just never know about commitment either. Yes, so you're right. So I, yeah. I, I was always very, my mother would slip little articles on my dining room table that said abstinence is better, better. And it was all these <laughs> statistics around STDs. So it's like just put into my head that, you know, if you had sex, you're going to get a sexually transmitted disease. And that's the oh. sort of guarantee. Um, but it was, it helped definitely make yes. me more conscientious. I don't know how good that is to be over the top, but I was very careful. And I think it's, and I, and I educate my patients to do the same if they are, let's say being intimate in their university years or, you know, that time to, to ask you know, their partners to get screened so that there's less need to prescribe antibiotics if you did get something. And the less antibiotics that we're all taking, the less resistant strains there are. And and it's it's really helpful to try to limit the use, but make sure they're you know, working when you are using them. Um, sometimes when you have a bladder infection, as an example, they'll do an in-house test, the Chem 10 test, where they'll dip your, uh, they'll dip a stick into your urine and then it'll say, you know, a couple parameters like nitrites are positive and blood is there, perhaps white blood cells are there. So that confirms an infection, but you don't know what kind of bacteria or what kind of antibiotic will work against that bacteria. Typically it would be E. coli. Um, if you're a young person and you do have an infection, but now which antibiotic is going to work for you? And then what if you have, you know, allergic reactions to some antibiotics, you have to know out of the strains that, you know, that are, uh, sorry, out of the antibiotics that are sensitive to that particular bacteria, which can you actually then take? I happen to have a lot of resistance and allergies. Okay. Yeah. So, so I have a story for you after your call. Okay. Well, you know what? I I I also want to address this then because it's uh, don't we see so many patients they've been given antibiotics and then they're giving another round. I've had people like four rounds in a row. So it's like, what the heck does that do to the body? Just because it didn't work, right? Right. So that's not helpful. And so I just want to go back to my story. Uh, I know I'm going off subject, but it's no, just okay. relevant. For sure. We're speaking to, you know, get tested. I think that's a great idea. I, I had just, I was naive. I trusted my boyfriend at the time and um, I was also the au natural girl and allergic to latex. Oh my gosh. So, so it was like, okay, no condom because I'm allergic to latex. But good news, guys, there's lots of non-latex um, types of you, condoms out there. Now, thank right? God. Now, yes. <laughs> thank goodness, yes. Now, yes. yes. Back in the day, not so much. But <laughs> And so now let's go back to the antibiotic. Yeah. And you had a story. What, what was that? Oh, I was going to say that I was in labor. I had tested group B positive um, uh, for strep. So when you are pregnant in your third trimester, you get tested to see if you if your vaginal flora has this bacteria called group B. Yes. Strep. I was positive for it. And GBS. Me too. Okay. Even though I took <laughs> probiotics, I still had it. And I recommend still, I mean, it's, it's helpful. Um, in some cases, but not all, obviously. So I had decided to take antibiotics, although there wasn't enough time for baby to be exposed. Anyway, they had done a culture and sensitivity, which is what I was kind of referring to. When you have a bladder infection, it's confirmed in-house, they send your urine away to get tested to see which bacteria antibiotics will be uh, sensitive to the strain you have and which, what's going to work because E. coli has different, um, you know, this particular strain 
a bacteria might not respond well to a particular antibiotic. So we want to target it, right? So if the doctor calls you and says, oops, I put you on the wrong antibiotic, don't be upset. They just put you on the more common one. And then now you have to change perhaps because your particular strain needs a different antibiotic. Now in pregnancy, I was tested positive, chose to do the antibiotic. And uh, because there was a 1% risk if baby didn't have exposure to the antibiotic that he could get meningitis from group B strep. And, and so I was, you know, uh, concerned about that 1% risk, although now I retrospectively was thinking, Hmm, should I have, because he didn't get the exposure. Nonetheless, I'm in labor and they put me on vancomycin because I had allergic reactions to the other antibiotics previously that did test as useful for the strain of group B. So I couldn't have those. And then I had an allergic reaction in labor, head to toe hives. So, you know, there's lots of different things can happen with antibiotics. So they gave me um, an antihistamine IV um, through in in the labor. So there are different considerations to have. It's like, okay, which antibiotic is going to work? And then do you have a sensitivity to that antibiotic? And so it's, it's really important to use them wisely, obviously, and not ask and, and, you know, people say, do you vaccinate your kids? And I say, yes. You know why? Because then I have, my children are protected against certain bacteria strains, and then I don't have to give them antibiotics. So, you know, pneumococcus, for example, the Prevnar 13 um, covers 13 different strains. And so then if my kids are exposed to those bacteria, they're less likely to have an issue because they've been vaccinated. So we're limiting our antibiotic use by vaccinating for certain bacteria, not just that's protecting a, against viruses. You know, that's a whole other topic we'll have to cover another time <laughs> for sure. But so going back to the antibiotics, so basically we know also one in three antibiotic prescriptions are unnecessary. Yeah. And the challenge though too is like, how does the doctor know which one to give you? Because there's not much testing. They just give it to you. And so it's kind of like a crab shoot. Is this going to work? Is it not going to work? Are you going to be allergic? Right. So, so what do we do, Tanya? So, I mean, there's the most doctors are familiar with the most common types of antibiotics that will be effective against different uh, bacteria that exist in different areas of your body. So if you have a bladder infection, there are the top, you know, uh, antibiotics they have in the back of their mind, but they do the culture and sensitivity if it's um, that to confirm, right? So it, it is helpful to do those tests. If you had some bad case of, you know, uh, pneumonia, because you're not going to treat people think that if you have bronchitis, you should treat that with an antibiotic. The majority of the time it's viral, unless your immune system is really weak and you have then developed a secondary bacterial infection, which is where, you know, traditional, traditional Chinese medicine and acupuncture and herbs and vitamins and minerals. And, you know, they all play a role to support the immune system for the virus so that you don't then don't need the you know, potentially need to get an antibiotic for a secondary bacterial infection, meaning you start with a virus and then you end up with a bacteria because your bacteria decides to have a party because your immune system's weak yes. with a virus. So, yes. you know, the, the goal when I, I say to patients, because they're concerned, you know, my kids are getting back to back, you know, viruses. And, and so then I say, well, did they need antibiotics? And if they say no, and I said, well, then you're doing a great job because what you're doing is you're letting them get their you know, some of the strains out of the 200 viruses that exist each, you know, cold and flu season. And it's more, how are they responding? And are they getting, or are they recovering? Well, it's very normal and common to have at least eight, you know, viral infections 
um, minimum per season, but if it's shortened and then they're not requiring antibiotics because their immune system's strong and then not getting that secondary bacterial infection, you've done well. So if you, you know, if you go to the doctor and push them and say, well, you know, they have a fever and they're not doing well, you can say like together with the doctor, kind of evaluate it and do the wait and see approach. And uh, I, I, there was a time when my daughter had, uh, I thought for sure she had strep because her, the, her throat was just covered in white pus and she had 10 days of daily fevers. And I had at the time a walk-in, uh, sorry, uh, an in-house doctor come and swab her. And I thought for sure it was going to come up positive. And he said, well, here's the prescription just in case it gets worse. Two or three more days later, she was fine. It cleared up. And he said, no, this was not strep. It's tonsillitis. So typically, you know, you would probably jump on an antibiotic just based on the visual, right? The more outstanding it is and the longer the fevers. I'm not saying do that. Everyone should just wait and see 14 days. I felt comfortable because I'm being monitored or babies being monitored by a doctor and I am a doctor. So it's a little easier for me to be like, okay, well, she seems fine. You also want to base it on how the the response during the daytime, it was like a nighttime fever and she was fine. She could sleep through it with some, a uh, little bit of Advil. So as an example, that would be one time you might want to jump on an antibiotic, but she didn't require it. So it's like figuring it out. When is a good time and place to take antibiotics? Well, doctors, you know, they know usually when, but mm-hmm. it helps to not push for it because sometimes as patients, we, we will push. I think the baby needs an antibiotic and then doctor will do that because patients pushing for it. You raise such an important point because I do know that physicians try not to use antibiotics so mm-hmm. much anymore. They'll say, you know, just wait it out. But it's a patient. So I'll say, what do you mean wait it out? I want to, I want to walk away with something. And so, Perhaps hearing this or watching this podcast video, then you'll go into it with more knowledge and and actually look at alternative things that you can do, not as an actual alternative, as another line of defense. And you you actually mentioned it. So there can be herbal medicines, there can be acupuncture, there can be perhaps certain tips and tricks that you do with supplementation. There's just so many things that we can do beyond just going straight for a pill of antibiotics. And again, back to they are certainly necessary, but apparently uh, two times out of three, or sorry, it's not necessary for a lot of time. one in three, one, one in three, three prescriptions. Three. Yeah. And there's 47 million excess prescriptions each year. And then the unfortunate thing is the sometimes allergic reactions. And then the deadly diarrhea called um, that, that happens from Clostridium difficile, C difficile. Don't know if you've ever heard of it, but it's mm-hmm. very hard to treat. Antibiotics are needed to treat it, but then that's the problem. Like you're wiping out all the good bacteria and then this little, um, spore-like bacteria decides to take residence and it's hard to treat it. It's hard to yes. kill it. Yes. And so, so sorry, I, I just want to cut in because just in case there's a lack of understanding. So when you take antibiotics, there may not be a distinguishing, meaning we have good friendly bacteria and we have like the not so good, the invasive bacteria that can literally kill us. Yes. So what Tanya is talking about is like when we take the antibiotics, it may really wipe out all our good, healthy bacteria that that helps us. Right. 
So we're overkilling the good stuff, especially if we take it too often. So it's trying to, that's the whole purpose of limiting it two times when we really need it. And C. difficile can cause like cholera, like life-threatening diarrhea where your whole electrolytes go out of balance and it's really hard to treat. Some people will go to the U.S. uh, to do um, uh, fecal transplants where they take their partner's stool and they'll filter it, obviously, and then inject it to have good bacteria inserted to treat it finally. Um, I had a, I had a patient who was a physician who had, we'll talk about it in another episode in inflammatory bowel uh, condition. And he did an off label treatment using this. He didn't have C difficile, but he had inflammatory bowel that was resistant to medications and it worked for him. So it's like inserting good bacteria from a, from a partner. Mm. Um, And and there are times where, you know, it's not life-threatening, but perhaps it's impacting fertility. Like H pylori is a bacteria you know, you were saying chlamydia is not like threatening, but it definitely can cause the ectopic, I mean, not ectopic, um, tubal uh, scarring. And, and then, you know, there are scenarios where antibiotics are helpful to treat some of the bacteria you might find um, in excess. Can you think as a proteus, I think is sometimes found um, do you remember the bacteria that are sometimes found when fertility treat fertility doctors will do an assessment of the urine and I, f- I feel like it's proteus anyhow, and they'll, they'll treat that to improve fertility. And in some cases, like they've done studies where, uh, lactobacillus, which is a good bacteria that we know resides in the upper digestive tract. If that's low, that can actually reduce, um, like if it's low in semen, like in a semen analysis, so sperm sample, um, replenishing that can improve fertility outcome and pregnancy outcome. So if, if a man has low level lactobacillus or good bacteria that can impact fertility. So it's, it's figuring out even like, you know, testing and then uncovering like the imbalances, the low good bacteria, but then also in some non-life-threatening cases, addressing bacteria that can improve fertility outcome. And so again, we're looking now at both partners, not just solely on women, because 50% of the equation is the male sperm. So thank you for bringing that up because it is relevant. And bacteriovaginosis was the other one I was thinking of. Yeah, BV, that's right, for short. So very, very, very common. There's microplasma, Mm -hmm. ureoplasma. Oh, microplasma. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. (laughs) <laughs> I don't test them. So mm-hmm. yeah. And and they can at the fertility clinic. Yes. And um, there's also Emma and Alice tests through the fertility clinics now that, that people don't speak to so much, but it's hard to really know the impact on the fertility itself with those. So, you know, you may want to speak to your, if you have a fertility doctor about that, GPs will probably not know as much about it. And it, even then, I think it's specific fertility doctors that may have more knowledge than others with regards to those tests specifically. Right. Yes. Okay. So at the end of the day, basically, um, you know, we've just come out of COVID and there's been a lot of antibiotic use. And right now, I think there's, you're talking about this global pen, um crisis with regards to antibiotic basically we're being resistant to like superbugs yeah and and that's that's a real problem that's a real problem so it's worse since covid worse since covid because there's so many people have been on antibiotics and 
And again, and you mentioned this, I think people are asking for it because there's out of fear. And so we just really need to be educated on what we, when we really do require it, which is important Mm -hmm. and crucial. And then, you know, other times where we don't need it at all and maybe just go through it. Well, that, and then it's also uh, damaged tissue. Bacteria love damaged tissue. So let's say you're in the emergency room and you're getting intubated because you can't breathe or or like in your, you're needing like serious resuscitation, or perhaps you're have a catheter in and then that damages the tissue that can cause a bacteria infection or you're in perimenopause and your estrogen's low and the tissue is uh, fragile and then you're intimate that can cause a bladder infection. So it's like figuring out ways and strategies to help the tissue. so it's not damaged so that then it bacteria does not reside. And that was apparently a big issue because of the higher number of hospitalizations. And so it's the, that was the issue, not the perimenopausal piece, but right. being in hospital caused a higher incidence of bacteria infections with the use of, um, you know, the various uh, things that were causing damaged tissues. So, so in our show notes, we're going to, so go to myfertology.com and you can find some of the show notes with a couple of the articles that we're referring to, like, which includes the H pylori and how it may impact male or female fertility. And um, going back to my personal story, if you want to know more, you can read my book, Pathways to Pregnancy, which I explain my full story as well as 14 other people's stories with regards to how they overcame fertility challenges. So that will be very hopeful and helpful for you. And um, if you're listening to our podcasts on live fertility, please go ahead and share it because that's why we're doing this. And if you could give us a review, that would be super freaking awesome. So we shall see you next time. We love doing this work and please reach out to us if you have a specific topic that you want to address. 